0: All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran studios. The Law Offices of Fran Hosh, Fall Harbor, Florida. Call 1 866 Law or go to lawfran.com. The Law Offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the Garage Build Podcast. This is episode number two of our Sturgis 2022 episodes, and this time I sat down with Mr. Paul Yaffe from Paul Yaffe's Bagger Nation and Paul Yaffe Originals in Arizona. I want to say a special thank you to the team over at Deadwood Custom Cycles for allowing us to come in in the morning and record this. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by SS Cycle. Since 1958, SNS has led the V twin aftermarket. From innovative new ways to get air and fuel into your performance twin, to big bore kits for all big twin sportsers and M8s, to today's must have exhaust components. Choose SS Cycles for your next performance upgrade. Visit SScycle.com and follow SNS Cycles on social media at sscycle. Hey, Team Dream Rides in Maryville, Tennessee is located only minutes from the tail of the Dragon. Dream Rides specializes in performance engine upgrades. Used to bike sales, service, maintenance, and repair. Visit www.teamdreamrides.com and follow at Dreamrides Tennessee on Instagram to keep up with all the latest news. The High Seas Rally is setting sail this October 29th through November 5th on the High Seas, right out of Port Canaveral, for the only motorcycle rally on a cruise ship. I'm going to be on it one week, 3,500 bikers, four Caribbean ports. Follow at High Seas Rally on Instagram. Use the code SPEEDMETAL and you're going to save $100 on your cabin price. And this year, we're buying the drinks. The drinks are on us. You get your free drink card. So there's still a few cabins left, so make sure you go book today. 1620 Workwear is made in the USA and it's quality, guaranteed for life, Workwear. Visit 1620USA.com. Use the discount code SPEED2022 and you're going to save 20% on checkout get one of your new work hoodies. I've got a couple of these work hoodies. They're bananas. They're very, very, very accommodating for work. Nice and thick, gusseted elbows that are covered up. Good stuff. So without further ado, let's get this thing out of the garage and up on the street with Mr. Paul Yaffe.
1: You're listening to the Garageville podcast with your host Jason Coleman.
0: me a blood transfusion this morning? Since I'm here, have you had? More, have you ever done the IV bar thing? Oh, oh yeah, I love them.
1: That thing is like, like greatest, they're, they're ever awesome. invented. Yeah, usually I'll get them before and after.
0: <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Let me make sure here we got. Uh, good, morning,
1: good morning, man. Yeah, that little Myers
0: cocktail is it's the shit. I did it once uh, I just wasn't paying attention to how many IPAs I had the night before oh, yeah. and you go home and you're sitting in your easy chair instead of going to bed and you wake right. up at 6.30 in the morning like oh no it's yeah. going to be a long fucking day yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not
1: even It's not even always just drinking sometimes it's just you know when I know I'm doing something like I was riding to Laconia right Right. so it's a 3,800 mile ride so I'll have a gal come over my house and do that that IV thing, and yep. then there's another one called a, uh, one called a NAD or something like that. It's expensive. The NAD ones, Myers are like 150 bucks. Yeah, exactly. 200 bucks. This thing's like 700 bucks, and uh, and it hurts when you get it. It it actually, and again, I'm no a doctor or whatever, but it it, it like it bombards your your body at a cellular level. Yeah. So it, it actually it invades your cells, and it and it, it embeds yourself into your cells whatever this, these fluids are and it lasts for two weeks really whatever, it's unbelievable but literally as soon as they turn the valve on you feel it in the top of your head and then you can feel it the pressure of it because it's actually you know it's invading you you can feel it all the way to your damn toes and you go like oh my god you feel, you almost feel like you're having a heart attack well, like your chest gets tight your arms get sore and, and anything in your body like if you have a sore knee or a sore back you can feel it like
0: there. In that inflammation, like, like or whatever, even more, it is. if you
1: could feel it like attacking it, and it takes a little better than two hours to get it. Then, after they give you the one, it's a three bag thing, and after they give you the one bag, then they have to flush, and then they give you a bag of a bunch of nutrients and stuff. But it's it's uncomfortable <laughs> to get it. I've only done it twice, <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know, normally, you know, like on a 30, like 38 hundred mile trip with 10 guys, or you know, every right. night, you know, we're drinking a bottle of wine or we're somewhere at a bar cocktailing, or oh, whatever. yeah, and, and plus, you know, you're doing five to seven hundred miles a day you know and it's 97 degrees and 97 like humidity you know we're on the east coast heading up right uh,
0: it's so damn hot
1: yeah and i tell you, i felt i got up every morning just
0: ready to go ready to
1: go it felt great and then when i got home i just did a myers and, you know just rehydrated and, it's a wonderful... I felt like I completely escaped it. Better living through chemicals. Right? Right. <laughs> chemistry, <right>. Better <laughs> <Yeah>. Or <through> chemistry, <laughs> not chemical.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: I apologize, I'm losing my voice.
0: <clears throat> no, no worries. It's towards the end here of the week here, and I know everybody's got to wrap things up. So I wanted to get you... I was trying to do this for a while, but we've just been going back and forth. We talked... Uh, should the last time we talked was around Father's Day, and you were getting off of your ride from Econia, getting ready to get ready to do this ride. Right. Okay. So how many years in a row have you... You, I take it you ride to Surges every you know? year. Yep, you ride every year. Yes, okay. so my
1: my actually my nine year old rode with me this year. Yeah, Nash, so, right? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was
0: super cool. Um, that's a
1: first, uh, and that was really awesome. Yeah, he made the whole West Coast ride with me, and uh, he had a blast. Yeah. I get up in the morning and I'd be ready to go about it, like he'd have his helmet on and brushing his
0: teeth. So you've already fully corrupted him into a motorcycle guy?
1: I don't know about that. I was really surprised because, you know, he's been, he's been, uh, you know, he's not like, he gets up every morning, goes, I don't want to go to school, I don't want to go to the shop. Or right. He's not, he's, he hasn't picked up tools yet. You okay. know, he, he just, he hasn't gotten into any of that. He's run into video games. Or, sure. You know, and he's just a super nice kid, so he just wants to play with everybody all the time. And, but uh, he, but about a month and a half ago, uh, I, had, I had just gotten a new BMW and it was in the garage. And he thought it was super cool. And he was like kind of climbing on it. He sat and it's, up, it's a R18 Transcontinental. So it's like I the love big, those bikes. It's like the big touring bike, right? And so that's what I rode to him and it was an unbelievable ride. But he climbed up and got the seat and you know felt that tour pack backrest and the armrest. And he was like, Dad, this is great. When do I get to ride on this? And I was like, anytime you want. Yeah. And then he says, well, I ride to Sturgis with you? And I was like, you know, that's a lot of riding. I go, yeah, you want to ride to Sturgis with me? And, and my wife got real excited about it. And we were like, sure, dude, you want to ride to Sturgis? We will. And Susie was like, I'll drive the truck and, you know, I'll chase you guys. And if you know, if he wants to get off, he can jump in the truck. Try. And uh, so we decided not to do uh, any uh, commercial vending this year at Sturgis. Uh, and we just made it all about, yeah, about nice. riding here and letting them see the rally and letting them meet people. And, it's yeah, funny uh, what
0: can great. what can turn turn a kid on. Like when I was I I was teaching high school for a while right. in Florida, and they didn't the place I went didn't have an auto program really set up yet. But they kind of like had this. I don't even know what it, it was on computer laptop with textbook. It was not hands on. Right. Gotcha. And then I took the program over, and instantly I was like, we got to get tools in these kids' hands and you, you right. light a fire. It's funny. It, it's not all the same. It's not a one size fits all deal. So it's cool that he's interested in at least riding stuff.
1: Right. So yeah, at least he's getting there. Now he hasn't wanted to ride his own bike. And he, I have a couple of electric scooters at mm-hmm. house. He loves those. He takes those out and rips them around. And, right. And, uh, and they're like, you know, fairly full size fat scooters. They got the big fat tires on yeah. them. And yeah, he loves them, man. He jumps on them. You know, he's got two. So a kid will, a kid will jump on with him and they'll go rip around. And, nice. You know, Go to the Circle K and get jumped right. <laughs> it's, but it's you know at least they're out, and they're doing something. Uh, you know the bicycle thing was slow. He didn't for, for his first like six years, he didn't want to didn't even didn't want a bicycle. I bought him a couple and said, hey, when you're ready, we'll jump on it. I'll throw two you know, a small one and then a bigger one. Yeah. He never touched them. And then uh, it's so weird with him. He just he just decides, right? Like one day he got up in the, in the morning and he said, Dad, I'm not wearing diapers anymore. Right, and I'm like. Oh, yeah, you are. And he's like, nope, I'm potty training. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that. He never, yeah, wow. and from that on, it was just, yeah, nothing. Yeah. I never had to teach him. I never yeah. had to carry him for the toilet. I never, and he just decided then, you know, just to, to jump forward with that. He, when he was six, I picked him up from school one day, and he said, you know, remember you said I could, I could get another bicycle if I wanted to, a bigger bicycle? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, when do you think I could do that? And I'm like, dude, we can go to the bicycle store right now. You want to, you want to yeah, go? Yeah, And he was go like, well. Yeah. We, I drove from school right to the bicycle store, let him pick out a bike, picked out a little dirt bike, and uh, brought him home. And the bike was laying in the back of my truck, and I said, "Hey, let me go inside, put my stuff down, and I'll come out, and I'll we'll get you started on riding it." So before I even got in the garage, I heard the truck bed slam, you know, open. Right, he pulled the bike out, got on the bike, and pedaled down the street nice i never held the bike and ran with him or showed him how to ride it, right he just it's just innate and in he just decided ride. one day he was and he rode it would be great he rode right down the street and rode back and he's like yeah this is cool and I was like okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. i seem to
0: I, I seem to notice i don't know if you noticed it or not and you're in Arizona. Um, I would think that would be a pretty big place for this like BMX is starting to have like this resurgence at the, Surely. At the kid level Surely. and I, I know that's how I came up and I, I think you had some experience, you grew up BMX, in SoCal yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, so grew
1: in was BMX, big deal. So
0: BMX, what was your uh, what was your go-to bike? So I had a Redline
1: frame, a chromoly frame with remember the nylon five spoke they yeah, They were like little stars. The nylons.
0: Yeah, the, the uh, were, yeah. This, this Skyway Mags. I know. Yeah, is that what they
1: were? Skyway or Paragraph. Yeah, yeah. yeah, these little, you know, black five-spoke nylons that were uh, really lightweight. And, uh, you know, that was it. And we were into, uh, we, we we had this thing in my neighborhood where all, we, I had a neighborhood that's full of kids. So there's probably 10 or 15 kids that were together pretty much daily, right? Right. We'd have big street football games. We'd have big street ditch games or whatever we sure. were playing. It was neat because it was very uh, uh tight-knit neighborhood right? even right. the parents uh, would uh, they'd all like in the summer they'd all rent motor homes mm-hmm. and we'd all go like caravan right oh, so eight or ten together, motor right? homes, and we'd all go to carmel or something nice. and, you know, <clears throat> so um yeah i just grew up with that with that and we'd all take our bikes apart and we'd hang them up in the garage we'd go down to what in, a, in our neighborhood was lumber city it was before home depot and we'd go to the spray paint section and we'd choose a really cool color, we'd go sand our frames, yep. we paint our bikes, and it seemed like it was a monthly thing, we'd take our bikes apart and customize them and put them back together, you know, and customizing was paint, uh, you know, cards of the spokes, <laughs> we Right, and when they'd with.
0: sell those things, that you'd pop onto the spokes, that would, would make noise or right. whatever. Right, and
1: then in our neighborhood was uh, was a Jammer, I don't know if you remember, Jammer oh, yeah. Cycle Products, yep. so Jammer had a showroom uh, in the valley that... Um, was was really about choppers. It was mm-hmm. you know hardtail frames and, and Iron Cross, big tall sissy bars and mirrors, and it was a real 70s kind of thing. And also, uh, Mike McCloskey uh, had a shop in the, in the valley, and uh, which he still has. And and I, I just was talking to him last night. He invited me to, to a, a dinner thing last night. We've remained friends, but actually ride my skateboard over there and you know dirty his window. You know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then, until we got courage to go in and ask and we used to imagine oh these bears look so cool on our bicycles you know and you know, stuff <laughs> yeah right <laughs> here's more cost more than the whole bicycle but, um that's just you know the, and that's that san fernando valley culture uh, cruising van dex boulevard you know uh you know the chicano influence uh, uh in the san fernando valley was super heavy and you know it was just so SoCal so cal hot rods and the beach and uh, that was just the culture I grew up in, so for me it was all, I was just immersed in that. You know?
0: And then now, you, so that you about 30 years ago you moved to Arizona, didn't you? And I moved in 80, like 88,
1: 89, I moved to Arizona to further my uh, mechanical studies. Okay. Um, Motorcycle Mechanics Institute is in Arizona is out in the desert, you know, and it's the official Harley training center, or at least it was then, I imagine it still is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, the, the couple of mechanics that worked at a place called Showcase Cycles in Hollywood, I was—I used to hang around there, help the parts counter, you know, dump oil pans, sure, whatever, and earn uh, your bones. Willie, Willie Highland and Robbie, the two mechanics there, um, would show me stuff. You know, they would let me, you know, <clears throat> empty fork oil and change seals, or and they'd show me how to do that or whatever. And after a while, and then meanwhile, you know, I'd be at my house. I had my parents' garage and I had a few bikes in there and and messing around, my dad always had bikes. But but I I, I lacked that that, that that foundation of four-stroke engine theory and and, uh, so I went to MMI. I moved there to MMI and what MMI really taught me was um, how to learn. That was the best way I could describe it, right? I mean, you know, in the year and a half, two years you're in school there, you couldn't possibly, you know, get all the education you needed. And I'm still learning, you know, to, yeah, yeah. there's so many years and years of motorcycles and so many different kinds of motorcycles and different kinds of engines and so on. But I learned how to seek the information I needed uh, to, to fix things, to work on things, to, to understand how things work. And you know, I left there, left there being an expert in in service manuals and, and that Theory kind of stuff. And Theory and... Theory and, uh, and if you understand the foundation of how things work, you know, depending on how your mind cooks, for, for me, I, I can always look at things and see how they'd be better. Okay. Right. So that's and that's just that's kind of a natural mechanical aptitude, I guess. Sure. And, and uh, that's just how my mind works. I can, you know, my guys come to me with a problem and say, "Boss, we can't figure this out," and I'll look at it for 20 seconds and go, "Oh, let's just do this and this," and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, that works great." Yeah. Right. And that's just how it, that's just how my mind works.
0: Which we almost have an engineering brain and a design brain at the same time. Right. I think that's where the amalgamation comes, where people like you can develop your completely your own style that still fits into what people want you know what i mean and you have that you have that ability
1: yeah we've always we've always um we've always learned to well we've always been able to whatever i could imagine Mm -hmm. we learned how to make stuff right so i've always been very fascinated with how things are made Uh, whether it's cnc machines or whether it's you know forgings or castings or uh, stampings and so on and i'm always you know Trying to, I'd love touring factories and seeing how things are done. Right. Or whatever, Sometimes, uh, and it just, you, it, I, and then I just bring it into whatever I'm learning or seeing. I just bring it into my own little world, and you know, oh wow, I could, that would really help me in doing a such and such. You know, like right now, I've got a, I actually have a problem I'm working on. I have a new style of handlebar that I've patented, uh, and I've and I've made prototypes uh, by hand, right. but I can't figure out how to make them for production. There's their, a their, their compound bend. The bend has three different radiuses in one straight bar, and it's difficult, difficult sure. thing to make. And, uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to make this for production without spending a hundred thousand dollars on a tool. Yeah, the <laughs> you so, that you're not going to. Yeah, have yeah. To oh, it would it would eventually pay itself, but it sure would be nice if I didn't sure to do that. So so now that these patents have granted, it's actually twelve different patents. Now I really am, have some pressure on me to figure out, um, you know, how to make it. So yeah.
0: Your bikes have always been um and i want to talk about kind of the the of the origin of polyefi originals because you you have a couple of things going on you have polyefi originals is where i would imagine the brain trust is for the bikes that you build by and large sure I mean, you that know, was in that your, was my custom shop yes yeah. that, that was when we were in the business of and of, now you have bagger nation right. which is really allows you to kind of move in lots of different spaces because you have performance baggers and you have touring baggers and you have Big wheel baggers, and these are all pieces and parts that go in and I imagine there's a lot of engineering that, that goes into that but if you look at some of the stuff you did um, what I'll call the gold rush era from 2000 to say 2006 you had your own frame you were the only person that oh that, <laughs> that offered a, the B motor frame it was a that was a real chopper frame you know with the swing arm and the soft tail and stuff like that do you approach it from design first or problem-solving and work backwards
1: well, I think usually, um, if you look at things that we prototype in the shop, the first thing is, is let's make it work. We have a problem. How do we solve it? Right. Um, like uh, here we go. I'll talk to you about this. Uh, the latest part we developed, uh, we call it the fixed stand. So new Harley-Davidson soft tails, uh have a have an unusual kickstand, but the problem with it is it, it's on a very slight. It's on a very steep rake, mm-hmm. and. Um, When you go to put your bike on the kickstand, the triangle-shaped pad digs into the ground. And if you're on asphalt or anything soft or something rocky, your kickstand will stop, right? And and you'll feel like your bike is on the kickstand, but it's not. It hasn't allowed the kickstand to slide, which allows the other end of the kickstand to To lock lock in, right? So you're not in that lock. So you think your bike's on the kickstand. You get off, and then your bike goes, your kickstand folds, uh, and the bike falls over. So we've seen a lot of people drop their bikes, uh, and and also you you know especially people that aren't you know super strong you have to yank you know, yeah yank the bike, the bike the- you have to yank the bike into the kickstand and it has to dig this hole. Um, so what we did is we first thing we did is we said okay what let's come come up with something fairly simple that will solve that problem. Right. So we added eleven degrees of rake to the kickstand, and it solved the problem. Right. Now the kickstand instead of digging it goes and on. level and it slides works great you don't have to buy a new kickstand we don't have to forge you a new kickstand it's just a block that goes between the kickstand and the frame and changes it so that would so the, the prototypes of that are just ugly blocks that you know sure. make, that solve the problem then I have looked at it and about okay how do we sexy it up a little bit and while we're doing it let's solve this problem let's let's put a, a spring guard on it so it solves the so no so you don't drag your spring right. over a curb or whatever we've all had a, we've all tweaked a, a kickstand spring and then the 14, kickstand's yeah. hanging down and now you got to, you know, rubber band it or bungee cord quarter mind, you know, to get something. There. So anyway, so then we just, you know, it wasn't too big of a deal to sexy it up and make it look nice. Um, yeah, and then we, you know, did our normal patent applications and, you know, that kind of stuff. So sure. now we're, Jason's selling them here today. They're selling the fixed standard, Yeah, so um, so that was um, engineering first and then and then just cleaning it up and making it, right. you know, Problem solving. and also making it, uh, uh Easy to manufacture as easy as we can sure. to manufacture because we want to be able to sell it as inexpensively as possible.
0: Were you guys, I mean, dude and I think this is due to the popularity. That a couple of years ago, the Monkey Bar was just—it was like trying to buy a Metzler tire. You know, <laughs> ten still, years ago, is. like you know what I mean. They're hard. Yeah. That that product is—is it—is that a? Thing like explain to somebody who doesn't know because I really don't know the manufacturing side of things like right. it just seems really easy like for the last 18 years I've gone to a catalog there's a picture of a part I wanted to buy it would be you know said to your monkey bars right. you know whether they're in the warehouse or not and you're like God dude, these things are never seem to be available but it's yeah. but it's a due to popularity how do you how do you manage that like, so there's
1: several factors there so so first off um, we never had any idea how popular the the monkey bar was going to um, and we're a small shop you know we do some manufacturing in-house but we're not set up to manufacture monkey bars now when we first started we did make them in-house we had two guys cut the tubing bent the tubing welded them together cleaned the insides made sure the wires could flow through them knurled the bars and you know we weren't even thinking about you know distributors or right and we made you know we made 50 handlebars a month or something <laughs> like that right and and but they were super popular super quick yes right? still are. so then we then we in this i'll just give you a history of it then we found another a partner to make bars for us um, and they had big ideas on how much bar, on how many bars they could make uh, and they couldn't and it was a relationship i already had and um, they uh, uh but they, they did make handlebars and uh they started to make handlebars and you know maybe we made Know, was, let's say we started off at 300 a month, and then kind of worked our way up to 500 a month. And I think they got as many as 700 a month. Wow. while we were making right. It was never even near enough. You know, the demand when we were making 500 to 700 animals a month, the demand was three times that, four times that. It was unbelievable. We don't even know what the real demand is because we sure, could never, we, we can never just rest and have everything in stock and every time you looked at a catalog and wanted right. it just shipped to you. Right. never happened. And the, and the monkey bars are labor-intensive, Yeah. right? There's several welds in them, there's there's, there's difficult bends in them, uh, the points have to be polished smooth and look like they're poured.
0: And the inside it, has to be smooth exactly. so you're not tearing up wire. And then there's
1: a process that we call rolling rolling the edges. So the monkey bars, after they're bent, and those miter joints are cut. Yes. Then they go on a mandrel and they're pulled off of a mandrel, which creates a little radius in what we call the hip or the armpit where your wires would drag through, okay. right? So we create this thing and then we have to make sure when we weld, you we have to make sure that those seams are tight. Otherwise, when you go in and weld, your weld will permeate that seam and it'll make it,
0: yeah, uh, it'll it'll make it
1: rough inside. Yeah. So with that being said, um, we, we we were just making as many of you know, as we could. And we also, being a small company, you know, we, did, we didn't just have a couple million dollars sitting in a box to throw up on our shelves and make inventory. So even right. if we could have made 2,500 handlebars a month, right, um, we just we just couldn't have afforded, you know, to, to, to go from, well, we can afford to have a couple hundred thousand, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in handlebars in stock to having millions of dollars. And we didn't have a room yeah. either. So then we, we that, that relationship, got started to strain because the pressure of this demand and our distributors getting mad at us and wanting them as well as our customers and, sure you know, we became back uh, backorder nation is what they call oh, this for a while that's the way the haters right yeah, on right. social media and stuff we call us backorder nation and uh uh you know the, one of the problems too is that we're very prolific with design um and me um, not being as, uh, not having as good of a leash on me as I should. I just, you know, everything I think of, I want to make. I want to make I wanna make So I just new, 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 new. But again, you know, the capital has to be there, right? So I'm a, probably a better designer than I am a businessman, right? So, um, and, and I certainly never have any problem coming up with new designs. They just, you know, I dream them. They just blow out of me all the time. So, um, so anyway, so then we found another... Uh, to segue the monkey bars into, and every time you segue, it's a whole big deal to set up all this tooling sure. and production and get the and get everything going. So then we were doing it with Manson Hines, which is a huge company, huge factory. And they have a big at best time they had a big factory in Southern California and one in Indiana. Right. Yep. And uh, man, that was great. It was just great. We were making tons of handlebars. Probably got up to 1,500, close to 2,000 a month. Uh, not even, never in stock. Couldn't, no matter. making <laughs> 25,000 handlebars a year. It ain't, it ain't filling. Right. Everything's going back. Right. It was just unbelievable. And uh, uh, then Vance and Hines, um, you know, got sold. Yeah, and, they did some And management changes. Da, 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 and, and our line suffered. Yes. Yeah. Their line, their, they, you know, it, it's the problem of being in a factory that lives on its exhaust pipes and and know the second shift does handle purse or whatever it is and and uh, so so production and problems uh, and, and an undertone of all of this is chrome is just tough and they're a tough product to plate I was right? gonna say I can't it's imagine a challenge that, like yeah. the,
0: trying to go into that business nowadays
1: well one you got to find something they consistently plate the bars uh, two you've got to find that something that's affordable Right, you go to a regular like like a, a nice custom chrome shop or whatever, they're gonna want a $100, 150 dollars to plate those bars. Yeah. You certainly can't have that no. cost and, and still have the bars be three hundred and ninety five dollars. There's yeah, just no yeah. Right. And so that's that's always been a problem. So we've also we've also gone overseas and we went into Mexico, um, uh, just trying to find new yes. volume, new sources. We always thought we'd love to have two factories making us handlebars right wouldn't that be great then because if nobody can make the volume we need maybe we need two guys right doing it right so so the outsourcing and, and we had talked about you know should we invest in equipment should we try to do this ourselves or whatever and and the thought of that and the and the and just the magnitude of it was, was you have really maintenance difficult. on the machines, you have to sure.
0: people that you've got to have, right. and if, if the machine's sitting idle, it's not making you money, so you right. kind of want to add enough shifts an, to... That, well, right. And, and yeah. it's hard
1: to hire. Sure it is. I mean, so we have, so now, um, some of our handlebars are made in Mexico, uh, right over the border from San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, in an exhaust uh, plant that makes, uh, uh, you know, Magnaflow headers, or not Magnaflow headers, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the short tube headers that uh, everybody uses on their hot rods, but... Um, anyway, uh, so we're there. Uh, they do a great job, right? Mm-hmm. And they, tons of tooling. I can jump on a plane. I can jump on a plane be in San Diego in an hour. Yep. Uh, my my uh, factory manager, plant manager, picks me up, drives me over to the plant. I'm there for four or five hours. He drops me off at 3 o'clock, and I'm home for dinner. Home for dinner so it's yeah. just like a day of work. Yep. Right? So every Monday, I'm going to Mexico, doing these doing these plant checks, working on new designs, improving things, uh, with problem solving, whatever it may be. Yep. Um, then COVID <laughs> comes, yeah. right, and it destroys Mexico. Right? Nobody wants to work. You know, and the Mexican culture is very uh, multi-generational and, and very family-oriented, right? And, right. And they also are kind of a simple uh, uh, culture that you know they, they don't need a lot. Yeah. Right? They don't need you know huge wealth and, and and all this stuff. They you know they're happy to have. Uh, you know, 20 people living under one roof. Say they're happy to have and each all, other. They'll all pitch in yeah. and you know, give them a dirt and a soccer ball, and they're, and they're happy. Yeah, that, you right. know that. How great is that, right? right. You know, we should all uh, uh, be that family-oriented and, and simple, you know, in, in life and enjoying those simple things in life. But so recovering from COVID has been a challenge. Uh, we We lost about 60 percent of our workforce. So so far, we've built back up. Right now, we're consistently making uh, about 600 handlebars a month. Okay, uh, and it's and it's consistent, you know. And then our biggest problem again is finishing. You know, we have one chrome plater. The industry has one chrome plater. Even all the people that copy my handlebars, they're having their handlebars plated in the same thing. My handlebars plated, and it's often we'll get some of the copiers' handlebars right and included it's in our shipments because li- they can't tell the difference. It's a little different, right? Yeah, they they yeah. They, yes, it's all it is different. No, no matter what's out there, it's not. A, yeah. it's not comfort. It's not the same. It's just. The way we do it is the way we do it, and and, and that's where we're at now. I have another factory mm-hmm. uh, that I've been working on. I've also gone overseas into you know Asia, and I've tried to uh, vet an Asian uh, manufacturer too because you know we do some outsourcing in China and stuff. And I know everybody's like, oh my God, if it's, you know if it's not made in the USA. There's some really quality factories.
0: If I can just there. speak on that, it's sure. like, there is there's certain technologies that exist in certain parts of the world where they do things efficiently and correctly. And, you know, I I have a hard time sometimes with people who sit and pontificate on their iPhone that was arguably put together with slave labor about somebody because vans are made in China. It's like, listen, you can get mad that Levi's aren't made in the States anymore, but they're made all over the place. You can made in Egypt, Mexico, Right. right? Van shoes—they tried to make some over here, right. and Danny G said that no one bought them because they were so expensive. Right. So that's treating the symptom, not treating the disease. If you're gonna, if you do that, you know, like, why does everybody use Italian leather? Because there's no barbed wire over there. Danny Gray can't make a nice seat with American leather right. because it's all scarred up.
1: It's, it's. I get it. I get, I get the. I mean, we all want to support our country, and we're all patriots, and we're all super proud of our country and, and, and we all want to have make a great living and we want to have lots of work and, mm-hmm. and you know and then you hear people complaining that oh our work's being taken by you know other countries and, and there, you know there's, you can't earn a living anymore and, and I get that but but uh, you know for me it's not so much where it's made it's that it's made well that's you know I, I, I have to I have, a, I have a, uh, an obligation to provide you with product and I have to do it in the best way I can and I have to be competitive with other manufacturers yeah. too. And if, if they're making grips for 10 bucks, you know, selling them to you for 90 bucks, you know, after they're stepped on by the distributor and the dealer and to uh, retail, you know, that, that I've got ai can't, you know, in my little garage make a set of $500 grips and expect you to buy them. No. You know, I'll sell some to a sure. guy who just wants them, but, but, but that's not what people want. And then people just get mad at me that they can't get my grips or why am I so expensive, you know. So I have to compete uh, in those areas. Now, we manufacture about 90% of our billet stuff in-house. Um, and uh, and actually, it might even be close to 100%. Now, we're, we're constantly bringing it back, right? Because right? shipping, now shipping and everything Does is count. ridiculous. I can't, it's not even competitive to make. Uh, it, it, there's no point in making something overseas. The quality's fine, the factory's fine, but between lead times, which are destroyed right now because of COVID, and, uh, and I can't wait eight months or 10 months or a year for something, and that's what's going on. Right now I'm sure you have realized things oh, you just at can't the, get at the, at the retail yeah. level
0: it's it's very frustrating because customers don't under they don't it's not that they don't care because right. it is affecting them but they want the solution not not sure. an explanation of the problem right. here's
1: here's a perfect example I make gas tanks in a in a nice factory in China they make all kinds of stuff but they also make my stretch gas tank and I've, that's been a relationship I've had for years they do a fine job uh, and we're constantly improving and stuff and they're a good a good partner so the last container I bring those ship, the tanks in about a thousand at a time in big container, mm-hmm. and uh, the last right before COVID it was about twelve dollars a tank in a big in several big containers a thousand tanks in containers boxed up it was about twelve dollars a tank to import them into the United States. So right now currently I bring them in a hundred at a time because it's seventy five dollars a tank to bring them in. Right, so I mean that's just what do you do with that? No, that's you know, funny. I mean it's just unbelievable. It's a 500 percent increase, you know, in shipping, um, and it, you know and it deeply cuts into your margin. So, you know, we've tried to, you know, so what we've done is we've raised the price, the exact amount of the shipping. Yeah. Right, and not marked it up, not because if I if I took that seventy dollars and ran it through margins, it would be 399 dollars that the tanks would have to. So we're just just trying to recover that yep. right now. You know that outlay, and and, I, and is it going to change? I, Who I don't,
0: knows? I don't, why would it? No, I, yeah, I who, mean, who
1: would wake up one morning and go, "Oh, everything's normal now. Let's let's cut our rates back 75 percent." If they're getting, if they're making it, they're going to keep it that way.
0: That's why I always right? tell people, like, have you ever seen a, a road go from being a toll road to a, a non-toll yeah, road? Never. And they'll <laughs> even say, like, "Well, yeah. we're going to put this toll road in and we're going to charge you 10 cents." Right. We're, yeah. Okay, 10 right. cents. So it's paid off, right? Toll's paid off. And the toll's paid off. And then when the, by the time it's paid right. off, right. they've stacked on 25 cents for this, 39 oh, cents sure, this. Sure. When you go, right. hey, you're going to yeah. drop it. I thought it was going to be free. No. Well, we did take the ten cents away. We just added ninety over right. here. now we got a ballpark we need to build. Now exactly. we got right. We got some kids we need to save. We got you know. Right. You know. Yeah, I got it. it, I it. It's a it's a slippery slope. Yeah. But I mean, I always tell people we're in the smallest billion dollar industry that I know about. Right. It might be a billion dollar a billion dollars, but it takes all of us to do it and, it and move it around. It's
1: you know it's challenging. I love you know the motorcycle industry. I love custom motorcycles. I love stock motorcycles. Riding motorcycles. Uh, I'm still very excited every morning I get up and get to go to work and I love what I do. I love my crew. We've got I've got a great family uh, that I work with, but you know, it's it's a constant challenge. If it, it really is. is. It's not just it's not just a matter of just, "Oh, pick up the phone and order more." It's it's just it's not that a people, you know, some people understand it. You know, some people don't. And we try to explain it. I don't want to tell you exactly what's going on with our business. It's not like I'm hiding something or whatever, but um, you know, I finally, I, 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 you know, when I vet a new, I'll go back to handlebars for a sec. When I vet a new manufacturer, it takes me two or three years to go through a process of, hey, I want you to make this. Uh, here's the drawings. Here's some samples. Send us some samples. Let's see if we can bend the stuff. And now stuff starts going back and forth. And there's three, four months in between every time you're doing new samples. Oh, sure. then we got this problem. Then they got to figure out how to correct it. So, oh, God, we just lost our chrome plant. We got to find a new chrome plant. I just invested in China, in a chrome plant, I just became a partner in a chrome plant about six months ago because we couldn't find chrome. And the way it is is, is the Chinese government is cleaning up the mom and pop chrome shops. There used to be all kinds of back alley chrome sure. shops that would do low volume, and they did find chrome or whatever. But, but the government is cleaning all that up now. So now you either have <clears throat> a, a, a huge chrome shop who's doing, you know, ten thousand piece orders or hundred thousand piece orders for automotive companies that sure. kind of thing and, and they don't want and i'd say hey can you can you plate 500 of these and they're like <laughs> yeah why why would we even shut down our place to do 500 of anything that's nothing you know right and uh, or you find a, a smaller shop um, that's clean and iso certified and so on and they're willing to do it but they're way more expensive you know and, you, and there's only so much you can pay so through my through one of my partners in, in china we we actually found a, a, a gold and silver plating uh, plant that was willing to set up a, chrome, yeah, a hexavalent chrome uh, thing, but we had to pay for the tooling, we had to pay sure. for the equipment, so on. So we have made this investment, and we're actually getting good chrome out of this shop now, and, and we'll see how it goes because we're just. So, so I've been working on a new source for monkey bars, and it is overseas. Um, and if I can, and if I can get this thing done, which I'm pretty dang close to getting it done. They'll only make so. Uh, another thing is, I think we make 18 part numbers in monkey bars. Five of the 18 part numbers are responsible for 80% of our monkey bar business. Right, tens, gotcha. twelves, chrome monkey bagger bars, OEM bars. It's only five part numbers. So this one factory, that's all they'll make is those top five part numbers. They won't make the other. The other 18 will continue to be made. The volumes low, we can keep up or lower. Right, we can keep up with it. But this, but this, this mass volume. Of these five part numbers is what, we're, is what we're hoping to be able to get thousands of at a time because that's what we need. We just need containers of thousands and thousands. Of people. Yeah, you just have to like create the, create the flow, right? Right. And, 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 and we've evolved as a company to the point where we can we can afford the inventory. Now we we can we can handle the inventory. We can place the inventory. Uh, we can handle the logistics. So if we can find the source, we're big enough now that we can handle it.
0: I don't want to get anybody. I don't want to. Uh, I want to ask you a question about distribution, mm-hmm. without being too specific. Okay. But so, in the last ten years, I've noticed twelve years. I've noticed that some of the um, some of the designer brands, the higher end brands, brands right. like you, brands like Baker, right. um, brands like Fueling, will sell direct to market. Right. Is that is that something? Uh, can you ex- explain the why that's a good thing for the consumer. Why that's a good thing for the manufacturer. And in in a, in, a, in a way that that makes sense because it's not just everything isn't about margins.
1: Well, in this in this case, it, it kind of is. That's the first thing that occurs to me. But so so typically the way the industry works is there's there's big companies like Tucker Rocky Drag Specialties, Western Power Sports, Custom Chrome. Over the years, have been these right. big warehouse distributors carrying you know millions of parts and they sell to dealer. Yep. Right. There's also a couple of brands. Uh, JP Cycles, uh, Dense Kirk, wonderful companies, huge warehouses that sell directly to retail, right. and their whole mission, right, get it overnight, right, order today, ships tomorrow, yep. right, kind of thing. Have it in stock, you get it, right, and that's a constant challenge, right, especially with what we're coming out of now. Um, but, uh, but those those guys, re- really, so the warehouse distributors like uh, you know, uh, you know, Parts Unlimited or, or uh, like I said, Western Power Sports, Tucker, Rocky, um, get a deep margin, right? And they have huge operating costs. They have, you know, seven, eight, ten warehouses all over the country, uh, thousands of employees, uh, and and that's and their business is just getting parts out to. Them, right? right, that's their business, right? Um, so, you know, your your typical product, and I'll just use this as a as a simple uh, methodology of. Understanding how things work. So, you know, I make something for 50 bucks. I, I sell it to the distributor for 100 bucks. They make it uh, $200. Bucks, yeah. uh, and then the dealer makes it uh, $299. Right? Right. That's that's how it, that, it's a retail. And that's how you, that's how my product becomes $299, right? And, the, and those aren't exactly the margins. But no, that's sure. just an easy thing to understand, right? Everybody steps on it uh, a certain amount. So um, it brings things, it, it makes, that's that's where the expense is. Right? so if you didn't go so and the nice thing for a small manufacturer like me is they help us with marketing they help us with volume right they, they have their their deep pockets right And yeah. yeah, they can they can put a lot of stuff on the shelves and help us you know we, we a small guy selling direct um, you know you, you only have so much room and you can only make so much product at a time right so I can't just make Two thousand of something and stick it on a shelf, and if it sits there for two years while I sell it off, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to have anything on a shelf that long. It's it costs money to have it on the shelf. Yeah. People don't under some, sometimes don't understand that. That you know every day that money sitting on a shelf, it's not earning money, right? You have it in the bank, right? Yeah. Maybe it's earning 3% or whatever, depending on... Or you, on you can
0: money. use it to buy something else. You can make 10% on... Sure,
1: exactly, money. right? Sure. Or you can use that capital right to make yeah. more products, right? So, you know, there's some people that think I shouldn't make anything but monkey bars. Right? <laughs> <laughs> why. It's, it's it's 85% of the volume of my business. Why 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 distract myself in anything, right? right? I should just make that, right? And So my business will be 50% smaller, but does that make sense? No, I mean... But well, we'll, have, we'll have lots more capital, right? So... It, it's, it's so the just so why guys why guys choose to go. Um, I mean, you, know, do you guys direct, do, it's, do, it's, do you guys do direct marketing? So we have direct always head. we have always in our since the day I opened my doors and started manufacturing products we have sold to anybody who wants to buy our product. Okay. So if you're a retail guy and you call me, I've got a sales guy who can help you do that. Do I chase that business? No, I don't. I don't spend tons of time you know chasing that retail business. It's it's time consuming. Um, a lot of customers need a lot of help understanding what they're getting, you know, and, and but we end up doing that anyway, right? Because our products are are such that you know we need to teach them, they're all for custom applications, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we need to teach them how to use them, but um, then there's the dealer direct business, uh, which, which again, you know, dealers uh, who deal with drag specialties, let's say they're used to getting their stuff overnight. Drag does a great job, yeah, right? So, so. When they call us, they expect that same type of service, and it's not that way. We're mom and pop; there, everything's free shipping, which we we can't. You, know, you cut can't into do that it. margin. We can't do it all the time. We try right now. It's really tough to do, yeah. but you know we try. But but I also I don't want to compete with Drag. Right. But some people now there's some people aren't a dealer with Drag. You know there's lots of little mom and pop yeah. shops that you know Drag also has. The investment. They have tiers, right? And you have to you have to buy a certain amount. Uh, and then you have to maintain those levels to become a drag dealer. Otherwise, it's not worth drag's time to service you, right? So there's nothing evil about that. It just is what it is. No, it so has to be. if you're a bigger be, yeah. shop, you know, you get to enjoy a relationship with drag. Uh, or if you are a vo- if you have some volume, if you're a small shop, uh, you know, you might not get that, that. So you need to be able to call me. I don't want you to not be able to get my parts because you're not big enough to deal with drag, right? Yeah. So, and then, and then... Uh, you know, there, and then there's the uh, the exclusivity of it all that, that you know, you, my, I consider my parts kind of boutique Yeah, right? that's a good Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, but you get in a big distributor catalog, and if that's the only place your stuff is marketed, you know, you open up the footboard page, there's 50 footboards to choose from, right? How do I rise above in that, you know, because I mean, you know, the footboards are, you know, there, there's some that are dramatically different than others, but then there's a lot that are you know, all fairly similar. One curves this way, one curves that way, Sure. Yeah, you know, but bottom line, it's a football, one. It's right? right. so, something you can stand on. So, so how do you, you know, fight in that, you know, and that's all your brand, right? You hope, you know, right? You think that, that, that the first thing they see is that, oh, yeah, so all those. You know, if, if you have a good uh, relationship uh, with, with the industry and with your customers and with, uh, with your consumers, the brand will, right, you go in and buy tennis shoes and if Nike's your brand, Right, you walk into the wall of tennis shoes, right, and right. your eye goes right to the swoosh, right, because oh, I like Nike, right. Me, I wear hokas, right. So, when I walk in, I, oh, I go right to the hokas. And I really don't look at anything else because that's my brand. So, you have to do a lot of work uh, with with brand uh, representation. Branding everything, and you try to have a great you know rapport with your customers, and a lot of that stems from customer service. How you stand behind your product and, and how you bring your product to your customer. Everything I make has a lifetime
0: warranty. The reason why I asked is, is because I feel like there's a lot of people and you know, and I do lots of different things in the industry. But one of the things that I've you know, the main staple is, is we've had my family as a generation custom motorcycle shop. So right, <clears throat> we see kind of things changing at the at the street le- what I would call the street level, sure. the front counter, and right. I just wonder from your from you know how are we still viewed or uh, people in that space still viewed from a manufacturer level when there's distributorships are so big. But we work so hard to have a relationship with the distributor, so that if I buy all my spark plugs and all my oil from drag, right, I get some picks, right? And yeah, I can get, get perks, a little right, bit of extra deal on my Bagger Nation stuff. Absolutely. You, right? can, so right, you
1: can pick those little, dis- you get a little extra discount on your favorite lines. Sure. I feel
0: like n- new clients and new customers into the, into the industry, that are just getting into it, don't... See the value in in the brick and mortar shop, and how do we how do we get that back at, as brick and mortar stores? That's, that's interesting, and you got to be concerned for the brick and
1: mortar shop, right? Because you've got one, you've got these internet retailers, right, that are everywhere, right? right? And then what happens is, so man, I can go online, and you you got my handlebars hanging up in your shop uh, for three hundred ninety five bucks, but man, I can go on so and so dot com and get them twenty percent off, I know. and then I'm going to bring them into you and ask you to put them on, mm-hmm. and you're like, dude, you know, I don't want to be a tick, but you know, this is part of my part of my existence here is being able to make a markup on the bars I'm selling you, and then the labor. I have to nostalgia. explain you that to both. so much. Sure, and and so we have something called map policies, right? Manu- yep. Manufacturers advertising price. and that's that's been a big battle. You know, for us is what we don't want to do is we don't want to see our new products on JoJo.com, whatever. We don't want to see our products on that discount. I love yeah. seeing our products on, on their websites, websites because sure. it's exposure for us, but we can't allow them. to to discount our products and that's how those internet retailers who don't even have a storefront they're just sitting on their couch, typing away, grabbing pictures, you know, everything's up there. They could be, you know, that jojo.com could be advertising you know, men's underwear and motorcycle parts in two different and
0: you have, and you have Yeah and they get around motorcycle. the map policies with put it in put it in the cart at the regular price and then right. your entire cart gets ten percent off.
1: See now that that I can't fight.
0: Yeah, I you can't can. fight
1: that. I, if you advertise my stuff for less, I can see it and I can call you and say don't do that or I won't allow you to Divide buy my it. product and they'll call and say, Well I'll just get it from drag because I'm a big drag dealer or whatever and I said well I can call drag and tell to cut you off too and, yeah. and for it took us about I don't know, maybe three or four years really vigilantly, you know, and I don't want to say it this wrong way, but, but policing, the, our bad yeah, policy, I know you mean. And, and it has to be done, and, then we, and, and it wasn't until we got our distributor support on that, right, because you call the distributor and say, hey, you got to cut that guy off, he's discounting our stuff, and a drag comes back and says, dude, this guy spends $10 million a year. I'm not saying nothing to him. You know, he can buy as much as he wants. What do right. you want me to do, call him and say, spank, you know? And, and I'm like, well, that's exactly what you have to do. Yeah, you have to do that. Because you have to, you have to. There's, there's an integrity of our brand, right? And it devalues our brand to have everything discounted, and it doesn't do anybody good to race to the bottom. I was just going right? to thank you for yeah. saying and that. And what I mean I by that is everybody's a dollar cheaper, right? Yeah. Until there's no money to be made. Yeah. And then who wins on that? So, so the, the battle has to be through branding and customer service, right? You do a better job. It's your brand. Your shop has a great name because you've worked hard to get it a great name, and people are going to come to you because they want that quality service and they want that expertise. You know, and we want the same for our brand. We want them to choose our lights because they know or our pedals or our footboards because we know um, that they fit great yeah. uh, and work great, right? So, uh, and that we have a company that stands behind them. You know, you, you buy from these internet companies, and something goes wrong, or you have a return or whatever. Customer service falls quickly. Yeah. And then they call us direct, right? And we still deal. We still, you know, anybody that calls us for the product is still going to get it customer service they would expect to get from us right. you know and, and the bottom line is too here's another thing to look at is we make really high quality stuff so we don't have a lot of problems we don't have a lot of warranty stuff that's why I can offer a lifetime warranty on anything. thing and my guys will freak out sometimes they'll be like really you're going to replace this guy's mirrors who lives in Key West and parts his bike with his kickstand in the water and his, and his chrome on his mirrors bubble six years ago and and I'm like, well, yeah, I'm gonna replace them. And they're like, why? It's the salt that's eating them away. And I go, yeah, I realize that. I go, but he took the time first to buy our mirrors. Yeah. Well, then he ran them for six years, mirrors. and now the chrome's failing. And he went into his file and pulled out a receipt and took the time to call you because he thinks he has he's owed something. I said, so give him a new set of mirrors. Yeah. I said, what, what do you why do you want to argue with that guy? I go, how many mirrors how many mirrors have you had to warranty this year? Well, you know, two. And I'm like, and how many have you sold? Well, five thousand. Yeah. And I'm like, get the guy a new set of mirrors. It's just not. It's you know, it's it's not worth the argument. And if he thinks he's, uh, he goes through all that energy, right, yeah. to to call me. Yeah, I feel like I should take care of him. Yeah, and know? If we
0: said that I had a lifetime warranty. Let's let's right. And let's that gesture, right, that
1: gesture is for branding. Yeah, you know, that guy, he'll never forget that. He'll be like, next time I'm choosing something. I know that yeah. five years from now that guy will take care about his stuff. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And then if I have a big volume, pump, if I said that, ask that same question. Said, well, how many mirrors did you warranty? Sure, well, 400. I'm like, well, we have, well, a we problem. have a quality problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not again. Yeah, it's not his fault. Yeah, if we <laughs> wore, if we had to warranty 400 mirrors, we need to we need to get we need to dig in and find out what's going on, wrong. On, you know. So yeah, that's the way we look at it in my shop. So. What yeah.
0: was the uh, what was the very first Polyafi originals part? Well, when you said okay. This is I made this for myself. A few of my buddies wanted it because you, know, you can ask like Billy. and Billy's got his favorite, you know, the, the right. knockoff that he made, and you know Jesse right. has some stuff that he made that sure. people wanted, you know.
1: Well, our first I don't know if it, I don't know if it's our first part, but our first hit, yeah, the first big part was something called the Radius Cycle. and it was a, a curved license plate holder. Uh, it had a big, it was concave, and then at the top of it, it had a little box that was machined into it that had a LED light in it then the bracket that mounted it also held a performance machine brake caliper. So it was this little part you would put in the back of your swing arm that did, the, it was your license plate holder, your brake tail light taillight, your caliper mount, and it just cleaned all that up, right? And it just made everything. One part did the job of three. And uh, we had them for soft tails and FXRs and little hard tails. Uh, we had four or five mounts for them. And uh, it was a very slick part. Um, and that was the first uh, time I dealt with, holy crap, we can't make enough of these, and, and they're really labor-intensive, and they were expensive, they were 800, 900 bucks or something, but man, we, everybody had their so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, That was the first big, like, you know, the radio side was the, was the first big part
0: of your? Who, who was your, um, you had mentioned some guys that you you shoe know, around the, the Hollywood area and SoCal, and at different motorcycle shops, but right. who's the who's the builder that, that once you started? Um, not that you emulated this person, but that this person had really did something that you know. You kind of God, I want to be able to do it like that guy, or with, you know.
1: So the first guy, the first big influence, and it was probably at the same time. So so when I started getting into bikes, um, a, a guy named Sig Emerson, uh, who was a local backyard. You know built some cool bikes and i saw him at the bike right. night he gave me an arlen Ness catalog which was about the, as thick as an easy rider magazine. it was just arlen's little catalog and oh dude i was like man this guy makes some cool stuff right and so i always had that arlen Ness, you know catalog and then you know i'd always try to get the new one and and i didn't know him or anything i just you know that was he had some really cool stuff and, and um and then but the guy there was a guy in the san Fernando valley area his name was billy westman Billy Westbrook had a little shop called Westbrook Originals, and my company, Paul Originals, was borrowed from Westbrook Originals because uh, he was my hero. He banned this guy. Have you ever seen a Westbrook bike? Are you
0: familiar with? I'm n- I'm n- I've heard the name, but from so, you yeah. in the past. But so if I you, wanna-
1: yeah, if you get up to Hamster Hill, you'll see some Westbrook originals. He's still around, and uh, he was a hamster. I don't. Think, I don't think. I'm pretty sure he's not anymore. He just decided it wasn't for him. He moved on or whatever. But um, Long story short, I, I actually went to his shop. Uh, I had a, an 86 Soft Custom. I bought the first Soft when they first came out in 86. Mine got knocked over by a garter and slid down my friend's Woodland Hills driveway oh, all the way down the driveway. Just ate the whole side of the bike. But it was, you know, within a few months of me getting it, I hadn't done anything to it yet. I was just a little, like in my parents' garage, holding on bullet turn singles, and trying to put wires inside bars. And that was the whole real, you know? I had a little, it's actually the BMX thing where you're taking
0: yeah, the bike apart yeah. and customizing it. I had a
1: mill table that I bought for my Sears drill press. Yeah. And it had a little, you know, Y and X and and it was like plus or minus an eighth of an inch. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'd cut little I'd make like a little bill of mirror arm or a little license plate holder. One of the license plate holders I still have in my shop. It's 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 sitting like a picture frame. Yeah. And it's just so rudimentary, right? But it's that was the beginning. Um, but I went so I took the bike to Billy's shop. And I really wanted him to do some work on it. The insurance company had given me this, you know, check that was, you know, probably more money than I had in my hand. One, one second time, you know, I, was, I don't even know how old I was, but uh, so Bill, I was like, yeah, I want to do these big five-gallon tanks with this burgundy ghosted flames, and uh, you know, I think I want some tall bars, and I want to slam this thing, and and he was like, no, he's like, I, I think we should put the skinny tanks back on, and I go, like, well, we should paint it white, and you know, and I'm like, well, no, 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 that's not at all what I want. I want, it, and he's like, well, you can get the blank. Like, out of my shop, right? That's just how Billy is, yeah. right? And if he don't want to do it, he's not gonna do it. And, and if you don't like his ideas, then go do your own ideas. Yeah, do is your you, own. Yeah, idea. he's not. He's very. Uh, uh, I think that's. I don't want to say that's his downfall because he's he's been very successful in years. But but his what's what's kept him from being a huge commercial success, like let's say Arlen Ness, right? right? Um, is that Arlen was just the people's person, right? He was just the most amazing gentleman,
0: and and you know never had anything bad to say about anybody. And, uh, he was just everybody's. Hero, yeah, my right? thing I always take away from Arlen is that he, came, he was the builder. Like He and Corey were paid to come to Birch Run, Michigan in the middle of the winter. A horrible place to be. Right, and, right. But it was an indoor bike show. And instead of just sitting in a booth somewhere, Arlen took the weekend and went to every single person's booth. Right. And he came to our booth and was asking me about stuff that I did on motorcycles. and right. somebody, cool? somebody had the, the, the forethought to take a picture of Arlen. Asking me questions, you know, and here I am with right. my red cap shirt with my shop name in the back, right. and you know, and sure. trying to figure out who I am. And it was just I I'll never forget that.
1: Yep, yeah. it's so funny. I actually say that to my wife all the time. I, I say to her like, when, when, when was the last time we left us enough time, right, that we could be tourists, right, and we could walk around the show and go say hi to everybody? And I love doing that. I love walking around and saying hi to people and and not. You know, like I'm bracing you with my presence. I'm actually curious to see what's going on, and how do you stay connected to an industry if you're not watching right. what everybody's doing, or what everybody's excited about, or or listening, you know, to you know that kind of stuff. Or, and I love having people tell me what they did. And, and I'll tell you something I really love is I love walking into a guy's booth, and he's got something on his bike, and I'm like. Wow, how did you do that? Yeah. And then he starts telling me about it, and I'm like, wow, that's a great idea, <laughs> you know? And, and but it, it, you know, it gets my juices flowing, too, and we have that connection, you know? And, and I'm like, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and, and I love, uh, you know, that fire and that passion uh, from, from young guys, right? yeah. and, Or it doesn't even have to be young in age maybe young in their industry, young in their career, right? So, yep. Yeah. So Billy
0: Westbrook told you to go ahead and take your bike home. So he sent me home, right?
1: <laughs> and so I I got, I was uh, like, well, you know, you, all, I'll do it myself. Yeah. Right? And and I still say this, I, I think I was talking to some guys the other day at the Hamster banquet, you know, up on Hamster Hill, and they were Southern California guys, and one of the guys had a Westbrook original, and, and we were talking, and, and one of the other guys was just kind of, I think he was kind of feeling me out maybe not happy me build him a bike right and, and so he was with these three guys and this guy dominic rubacava who's a long time hamster and and knows billy very well and uh and we were all talking about you know westbrook bikes and i was saying to them i'm like you know if you really hadn't kicked me out of the shop that day who knows you know maybe i'd still be a customer of his and i would have gone off into doing something else or whatever but but it was that bike that I tore apart and decided to fix myself and customize myself and kind of immerse myself into educating uh, myself on how to do things. And uh, again, asking the guys, uh, asking the guys uh, uh, at the shop like Willie and Rami, you know, how do I do stuff and so on. And, and uh, you know, that was the kind of the beginning of, uh, of me really wanting to, Further than that. I, I was, I was so wrapped. My my, I was so wrapped up in that bike, you know. Like like, I had to get a couple of chrome Allen's for something before I would take it out to the bike night, you know. And and, and then I, it was hard for me to leave the bike at bike night because I just wanted to stand there with it. I wanted people to see it, and I wanted to show it off, you know. And and it was a really
0: big part of me. You still get that excited when you're, you know. You still get that excited when you're doing the. Uh when you show a new bike like this this FXR uh, that you did for FXR friends throwdown right didn't the pictures didn't transmit as much when you get it and you see the person it, it's
1: so I brought it to start so I actually wrote it here today It's amazing. And, and you know and, and that response that I've been getting and that is the response I've been yeah. getting I'm a little taken back by it because I think it's kind of simple and and um, and it, and that that bike made me super insecure right even at this stage of the game I I was like you know, like I first I cut the frame, and then I and I raked it, and then I was like, oh, I should not have done that. I shouldn't have cut that frame. And so I welded these two little triangles on where I raked it to hold the place because I didn't right. finish it. Yeah. Right. And then for like a year and a half, I, I couldn't. I was back and forth. Oh, I'm gonna leave it. No, I'm not gonna leave it. I'm gonna put it back. No, I'm not gonna put it. I'm gonna, you know. And then in the meantime, I was working on some other stuff on it that I knew I wanted to do regardless. But I didn't. I didn't weld up that rake for the longest time. I just, you know, and, and I'm, I put a few pictures up, and I get these comments like, you know, someone should pull your balls through your asshole, you know, for cutting up that frame. You know, the purest. Yeah, guys. I, yeah, did. That, I, I really get it. I get that kind of stuff, and and, it, and I'm, I, which I thought was the funniest comment. I love that guy. I was like, you're awesome. Yeah, right. That's funny. I'm going to use that. You know, and and uh, but and then I just and then you know I'd, I'd be on it and off it, on it and off it. It took like seven years to to finish the bike. It was the throwdown. It was Jason's challenge. To me to get it done. To well, he had, he had put this friend's throwdown together and challenged me to this little friend friend competition, which really wasn't a competition. But he thought I had just restored this old FXR, and he saw, saw it online, and he thought that that's what I'd be competing with. And he was building this badass performance FXR, yeah. with big ass and this really cool bike. And so he thought he'd give me a little whipping, right? And so I said, hey, I'll do that throwdown with you. And but you handle the social media, you handle all the all the shit talking back and forth between right. me and you. I, I don't I don't want to do it. I go, but I'll feed you, you just tell me what you need and I'll i yeah, sure tell it. me when it's time to go on and call you a dick and whatever. Right. And I'll, I'll do it and, and I'll send you pictures. So yeah, I don't know, a month, month or two later he calls me he goes, hey, I'm ready for some pictures. So I sent him pictures of this bike, right? Because that's what I was always planning on I was planning on finishing it, right? Yeah. And he calls me back, he's like, what, 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 what the what the heck is that? You know, and I'm like, oh that's my that's my throwdown bike. And he's like, no, no. He goes, you had this blue and silver bike that you were restoring. It was like an original FXLR. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm still doing that. I go, but, yeah, that's not for the throwdown. This is the throwdown. We're going to throw it like, throw a, down. It was a pause, right? And then he's like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny. He was so cute. <laughs> it was so dang funny. And, and then we were here when he was on, when he was was when Jason was giving the police chief the bike that yes. he built from. And Brian Clock was here. And Jeff from NAMS was here. And Curtis Hoffman Trask. There was a bunch of us that are all donated parts to the bike. Uh, the Nesses. There was a bunch of people that were here, and everybody started saying, "Well, I want to, I want to do the FXR." Throw it out. I want to build an FXR, and so it really all of a sudden just quadrupled into this whole thing. And you know, then six or eight months later, we're all meeting in Winslow, and there's I think there was I don't I, I don't quote me on it, but I think there was 13 or 14 FXRs all from you know good builders and some amateur builders, and some guys were crashing. What well, we called it crashing because yeah. they didn't actually get invited to the group, yeah, but they came, sure. they built FXRs and came anyway, which I thought was great. Yep. And then we just ended up having this fantastic time, and we all went out to dinner, and we stayed at this hotel, and then we all rode down to Arizona Bike Week, and it was just awesome. Yeah, it was great, and it was a really fun thing with no no worry about who's going to win or right. who's better than the other one. And but this it's funny this bike I've always been super kind of humble about the color was uh, I just kept changing my mind and changing my mind. I wanted to do this color the whole time, but I kept thinking, oh, it's like baby blue. <laughs> right? you know, like, it's it's
0: yeah. not. So it's got a little more panache.
1: Yeah. And, and, and well, it was, I say it doesn't yeah. show in the pictures as well. Right. Right. And every time you take a picture of it, it it's sure. different colors, right? And there's one picture that Olivier, a uh, photographer from France who, who took the the whole, he came with us and shot, documented the whole thing. Awesome photographer, uh, Olivier Turon, is his name. And, and he took one picture of the bike and sent it to me, and the fender and the tank and the fairing, all three looked like different colors, and it was just the way the light the way hit them the or whatever. Them it, was, it was really weird because I mean it really looked like different colors. I was like, "That's the weirdest picture I've ever seen," you know. And yeah, so it was nice to bring the bike here and let the hamsters see it, and a lot of people hadn't seen it, um, but the response has been humbling. Yeah, yeah they're just good. like, "That's the coolest bike I've ever seen," you know, all um, stuff,
0: and, which is. Right for me, that's to hear that. Still, yeah. All it. this, all this time, it's, you get love from the back of the room. That's some of the yeah. best love you ever get,
1: right? And I guess the point of it is, is that you know, even you know, with with all the accomplishments, you know, I still get totally wrapped up in a bike. I still get it keeps me up at night. I get totally insecure about it. You know, you're like, oh, everybody's gonna hate this thing, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and and you you still, at least I do. I don't know about anybody else. But, that's good. But uh, yeah, I'm still, I still. But then when you when you roll it up and you drop it and you get off it and and you see the looks on people's faces or you see the smile you know or whatever that never never gets old it's just yeah it's like a huge pat on the back and and uh and then it gets in you get a little addicted to it right and then you want to stand by
0: your bike and go yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, you
1: want to, you want to say something you I love to hear the you bike, bike, yeah. you're like i didn't want to
0: leave the bike at the bike night because i wanted to stand there right the bike right and same my bike. still it's same funny, kind of, you know, same kind of thing it's you know we start out with the two wheels the bmx and this and it ends up being kind of if you look at the right. arc of that, it's always kind of the same. Sure. Just the toys get bigger, better, more expensive. Yeah. The tools get it's, expensive.
1: And I now. still, I get wrapped up in it. BMW just gave me a couple bikes to cut up and yeah. do full customs on, right? And I've been riding them and get to knowing them uh, a little bit before I get yeah. into it. But in the back of my head, I'm still like, can I, can I do this? I, I don't know if this, this is a whole different... Thing I don't. What if I screw up? What if? What if it's horrible? Can you know, I still? But even you know, I st- I don't just go hell yeah. I'm going to make a monster out of this, and it's going to be bitching. And I, I have no idea today what I'm going to do to that thing tomorrow.
0: A little you bit know? of humility goes a long way on a project. Yeah, it's,
1: I, I can't help. i you know. I don't know if it's if I'm just if it's insecurity or. or no, I think or if it's just pushing, super, it's super important to me.
0: Outside you know? yeah. the norm.
1: Yeah, I get very into the results.
0: So. so you are you're the presenting sponsor for the High Seas Rally uh, myself up. and Susie. Yeah, me and my yeah, wife are super awesome. excited. <laughs> yeah, we're I've really never been excited. on a cruise, so, so I'm excited to go on
1: it. The only other cruise I've been on was the High Seas Rally. I don't know, fifteen plus years ago. Oh, really? Ago. I've been on. Went on one um, when they first started sailing. Maybe I don't know how many years it was into 21
0: it. Twenty-one right now. So ideally.
1: so maybe it was the third or fourth one or something. I got you know asked to go on the boat as a do it appearance, right? Sure. But, and <laughs> You know, like this, I was thinking it was like a, all these senior citizens and it was going to smell like mothballs. and you know, <laughs> this whole thing, right? you know, I was just like, oh, my God, I'm not playing like, you know, backgammon all day on the boat or whatever. Right. And uh, yeah. But I went. I went kicking and screaming. But I went. Uh, and I'll tell you, I had the best time. 3,800 oh, wow. screaming crazy bikers. These big groups from like Canada, you know, other frozen places that were so excited right. to be in, on the Western Caribbean. And then just... Everybody was so enthusiastic and so excited to be there, and and the boat was beautiful, uh, and obviously the trip was amazing. The shore excursions and stuff were amazing, but I made so many friends that I still have, they're still friends today, and uh, uh, and it was everybody participated in everything the boat did, and the and the crew of the of the uh, the uh, Mariner of the Seas, which is the boat, the crew. These guys are so awesome, and. Um, they, they just are like the party planners from hell. They put up, they've just put on so many great events, and yeah. you know, they yeah. have a dance or whatever, and everybody goes up and dances. It's not yep. just like five people dancing and everybody's standing around awkwardly. Yeah, right. like, you know, the belly flop contest, there's 50 entrants. You know, it's an all <laughs> day thing. You know, it's, and, it's, and everybody's, you know, it's 20 people deep crowded around the pool watching, you know. And, and the shore excursions, you know, the whole town or whatever private island or wherever you are is taken over by all the people you see on yeah, the boat. Yeah, you're, you're
0: traveling with thirty-five or thirty-six hundred people.
1: Unbelievable! It's like it's like the power of that group, you know, is amazing, and and even the sit-down dinners and stuff. The dinners they put on, they put on a couple at night, and it's just it's just great. And then, you know, I've been a hamster for a long time, so I decided to do this hamsters on the high seas little segment of the rally and so we have a, a little group of rooms and I think we've got you know 40 couples or something going so we'll have this little hamster contingent on the boat to and then it's really cool they put a they do a whole like kind of rally on the ship the hull of the boat becomes a trade show you know and then Trask and NAMS and Clock and myself and all these great vendors will be in the hull of the boat with you Know just with boost you can come by and talk. And now they'll have a bunch of bikes on the boat to look at. Their entertainment is incredible. I think Molly Hatchet and Fog, Fog Hat, 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 right? Hatchet. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and you so you you know in this theater, you know, it's not like you're at a, a you know a, a, a sports arena or right. whatever. I mean, there's you know, there's 3,500 people in a room watching a That's a very intimate crowd right that's a Very small nice. crowd to watch a band like that uh and how great it is and everybody's dancing everybody's having a great time and yeah i i'll tell you it's a memory i'll never forget and so when i had this opportunity when susie and i had this opportunity to become the sponsors uh, you know for this thing we were like yeah yeah it'd be great we'd love to do that and and we just want to you know party with everybody and have yeah. a great party so we're super excited that's uh, cool
0: and that that's going to be uh at the end of october and then through november and then uh Hopefully they they just keep keep going. I mean I know that they're going to do the you know the plan is, but we don't know what the entertainment's going to be. You know we we've, we've been waiting for two years. Oh sure. Pushed it, right? Imagine so how hard they've had I'm it. They've, they've been yeah. waiting to sail. You know. know this
1: is the, the rolling into their third year of restrictions and not being able to sail and now the restrictions have been removed yep. uh you know the covid thing has been kicked to the side uh, there's there's not even they don't even there's no even proof of vaccinations yep. on the boat so it's so you can be free and, and they're giving the drink card this uh, uh, way
0: this well we, too. yeah we are buying drinks for everyone so
1: it's, it's, a, it's a, you <laughs> yeah. Get a yeah drinks are on us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which it's kind of scary i'm like i want to see that bill <laughs> not, yeah, no i don't that's got to that be a day. beast yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah everybody's drinking for free so it should be just you know, amazing, and then you know they got a casino on board. They're doing a big Halloween, you know, costume Party, contest. Yeah. And the nice thing about it is everybody will be in costume. It won't be, you know, it three guys. Be. Three guys put on their kiss costume, and the other, and everybody stands around and looks at them. Right?
0: Like, no, and everybody's participating. That's cool. That's
1: what's that's what's really brings the energy to the to the event is everybody brings their best yeah it's fun
0: so we're um we're coming to the end of the of Sturgis 82nd right mm-hmm. so uh you're heading back to Arizona I will be back home Friday afternoon yep yeah. so it's time to time to wrap up Sturgis for one more year and then yeah this on is to a, bigger this a good Sturgis well, yeah I, a, I thought it was
1: going to be kind of a light attendance A lot. it of was people. a heavy attendance There was a lot of I'm interested to see what the numbers were because I mean there was a couple times we got off the freeway at Lazelle, like heading to the Iron Horse or something It took me an hour to yeah. go two miles. I found no, traffic last year. Do, you know how they, do you know how
0: they count how how many people are here? How they, I don't know. How do they count? By the trash. Oh no kidding. They weigh the trash.
1: And that and that gives you an idea. Some some. Yeah. How many? Democrat, how many some right. Some out. some metric on. Yeah. Each each one of us produces. <laughs> yes, seven of pounds of waste. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Paul, I appreciate it. I know you got a lot of stuff to do, and uh, I'm going to head back to Florida. I really appreciate. Thanks, your time. man. Yeah, nice All to right, be sure. here.